namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddham dhammam sangam namasami Today I wanted to use the cemetery corpse meditations in the Satipatthana Sutta from the Majjhima Nikaya. And I have a little idea of how we can use these in everyday life. And it's slightly different than just the traditional mindfulness immersed in the body. It's also very useful to use it in the traditional way and to contemplate death frequently even if we're young and completely well healthy the whole world is beckoning us to be immersed in it if we use mindfulness immersed in the body then we realize the impermanence of the body and it's a very important teaching then our immersion in the world will not bear so much danger for us and will help to harness the mind from its wandering and from its frivolousness, from its tendency towards being restless, agitated, fearful or worse. There are nine cemetery meditations or corpse meditations and These are very useful to look at graphically, visually. Right now, we'll just do them through literary metaphor or images. The Buddha describes in several verses how mindfulness immersed in the body, how it is pursued, developed, and brings great fruit and great benefit going to the wilderness, to the shade of a tree, to an empty building, sitting down, folding our legs crosswise, as we have done here, with the body straight up, mindful. And then further down, he says, and this is how a monk or nun or layperson develops mindfulness immersed in the body, as if we were to see a corpse cast in a charnel ground. One day, two days, three days, bloated, livid, and festering, we apply mindfulness to this very body, seeing that, having that image in our minds, as if we had gone to a charnel ground and were looking at a corpse that were blown up. Have you ever seen a dead body? Was it 
bloated, livid, and festering. No. Usually when you see a dead body in a funeral home, it's all dressed up. And sometimes they even put makeup on the face of the person. Correct? And they make the person look as if they were almost alive. They inject different drugs so that it doesn't get bloated, livid, and festering. But in the time of the Buddha, this wasn't done. So people could easily see a corpse that was bloated, livid, and festering. And then we contemplate this body and we say to ourselves, this body too, such is its nature, such is its future, such is its unavoidable fate. Now if we were to see a body if one of us were to die right here on this spot, at first, it wouldn't be bloated, living, livid, and festering. So what is it that comes up in your mind when you see the body of a dead person? At first, you have this being stunned. That might come up. But if the condition of the body was very bad, you would maybe feel shock or maybe horror. Okay, so now taking that as the first thing that we experience when seeing the dead body. Or again, if we were to see a corpse cast away in a charnel ground, picked at by crows, vultures, hawks, dogs, hyenas, and various other creatures. Well, when we went out to look at the dead bear a few years ago, and also the dead porcupine. At first, this is more pleasant somehow, because we don't think, oh, that's not me. I'm a human being, not a porcupine. But actually, our body also has the nature to pass away and to disintegrate and become disgusting in these ways. And if the body is left out in the forest, then hyenas, we have coyotes and other creatures they will, crows, definitely hawks, they will all come and start pecking at it and tearing it to pieces. So then, what would you feel in your mind? You would feel shock, horror, and disgust, like very, very strong disgust. So we can then contemplate with mindfulness immersed in the body that this body too has the nature to be torn to pieces by animals. In fact, in Tibet, one of the ways that they dispose of human remains, when a person passes away, and first the body is treated with so much reverence, but then it's just torn to pieces and thrown to the creatures. They actually throw the body out in a deserted piece of land, and they observe the vultures and birds of prey come and peck at the bones and remove pieces of meat. Picked at by crows, vultures, and hawks, by dogs, hyenas, and various other creatures. Or again, if we were to see a skeleton smeared with flesh and blood connected with tendons, then we would experience in the mind shock, horror, but maybe interest. Would you be curious? 
would there be a little bit of curiosity? Because how many times do you get to see something like that? Have you ever gone to a horror movie? Why do you go to a horror movie? Because you want to feel horrified. (laughs) Well, actually, here we are watching the body disintegrate and the animals are eating it. They're feeding on it and we feel disgusted and we, we might even feel terrified. But then inside that terror, once we start to see different aspects of the body that we may not even have realized exist and they're being torn out, tendons arriving into the mouths of these creatures, then along with the horror comes a curiosity. That's why when you're watching a horror movie, you sit there, at first you're horrified, but then you become curious. You don't run out. You stay there. You want your money's worth. So you're waiting to see maybe there's something better that's going to come. So into that horror and shock and fear, there's also disgust. But there's curiosity. So part of you can't stand it, but the other part of you is curious enough to keep watching. Now don't forget, the Buddha's instruction is to keep mindfulness immersed in the body, in this body, as if it were that body. So we're going through a process here. And the process is maturing, it's developing. The next thing is a fleshless skeleton smeared with blood connected with tendons. So now there's no more flesh. It's all been eaten up and there's just a skeleton that's connected by these tendons and it's still smeared with blood. So you still have a certain aversion to it, a very strong feeling of not wanting to know but you're still able to look at it. And maybe you can look at it even more because when flesh is dripping with blood, our curiosity will wane and be overrun again by the horror and shock. But along with the curiosity comes um, more of an interest, like it's changing. You see the impermanence, you see the pieces are disappearing. Well, what's going to happen next? But it's not a movie. It's real life. Next comes the bones detached from the tendons scattered in all directions. Bones detached from the tendons scattered in all directions. Now our interest is settling a little bit more. We're no longer, so we don't have that same kind of shock because it's scattered in all directions. So we're trying to understand what is happening here. This is a middle stage of understanding from this deep mindfulness of the nature of the body together with impermanence. And we see the impermanence is changing and changing and we see the suffering. But when the bones are detached from the flesh, and they're no longer connected, they're scattered, we begin to see the emptiness, anatta. So we've seen the blood and the flesh, the dukkha, because it's almost viscerally painful for us. 
But we start to have an inkling of anatta. This is very important. Now the bones detached from their tendons scattered in all directions. Here a hand bone, a foot bone, a, a, a shin bone, a thigh bone, a hip bone, a back bone, a rib, a chest bone, a shoulder, a neck bone, a jaw bone, a tooth, a skull. And there comes to be a kind of nibida happening, like a turning away from the world, because we're learning about the nature of the body again. What are all these pieces of the body? What are they? Well, we know this is what... Wait a minute, this is my body. This could be my body. Cut up, torn to pieces, lifeless, fleshless, no longer worried about the blood, because we start recognizing all the aspects of the skeleton, and we begin to recognize this is what we consider to be me, myself. So not only is that body over there empty, but this body that has a hip bone, a hand, a limb, an elbow, a foot, a chest, a head, this could be, this is this, is this body. So we begin to have the sense of anatta in this body. It becomes very personally palatable, not out there. But this is the death of me, myself, what we think is me. And then the bones, as we contemplate this, this is in a cemetery, a charnel ground, and we begin to see the whiteness of the bones, after some time they are turning white. So we start to have, again, the curiosity, the interest. What happens when mindfulness has so much interest in it? We're so focused on the process of the deterioration of the bones into this white color. It's not like, oh, a ghost is going to jump out of it. But we realize anicca, dukkha, anatta, the real stilling of the formation of this body. Here, out there and here, and it becomes white, colorless. It's truly without any life. It's not moving. And we see this is our own mental element now, settling down. There's no shock when the bones look white. It's almost like something that we can concentrate on, focus on. So the mind becomes quiet in the face of that dissipation of the bones into a white color. And that color informs consciousness so that the mind becomes not shocked, not horrified, not fearful, but more quiet. Then, seeing the bones whitened somewhat like the color of shells, the next thing, after some time, if we contemplate a body that is older and older, we see it just piled up and decomposed into a powder. There is nothing left. This too is 
the human body. This too is our body. It turns to dust. What is the turning into dust? What kind of a message does, does that give us? We think of the earth. We think of all these things that are standing, that we look at in the forest. This afternoon I was looking at trees dying and thinking, these trees are going to fall down and die and we're going to have to find someone to cut them up into pieces and drag them away from here so that we can continue walking on our paths. But before they fall, will they fall on my kuti? Will they smash our little shed? Will they destroy the buildings on our property? Wait a minute. Even these buildings on our property, they will fall down one day into many pieces. They will also fall to their knees like these bodies fall down to the ground and turn into piles of bricks and stone and wood and look just like a dead body one day. Because everything in this world is impermanent. It is empty. It has the nature to arise and cease. And in its ceasing, there is no more horror, disgust, and fear. But there is interest and there is learning. There is understanding. And the mind comes to peace. Because when mindfulness is immersed in the body and when mindfulness immersed in the body has the ability to understand the nature of the elements, any elements, most importantly these elements, what are they? Earth elements water element, fire element, air element, arising, born, get older, older and older, are sick, sicker and sicker, old, sick, die, leave the body for a month, two months, six months, a year. When we came back to see the bear, a huge bear with black hair, and sweet ears, and teeth and claws, and everything a bear needs to feed itself, lying in the forest for at least a year. When we came back in the end, all you could see was a little valley, like not a dent, a hole, where the bear had been lying. There wasn't even hair left, nothing. When we contemplate the nothingness of what we are, what do we experience? Peace. Experience of peace. They have the nature to arise and cease, and in their cessation, there's peace. So the Buddha says this too, such as we apply these images to our own body and we contemplate this too is the nature of our own bodies such is its future such is its nature such is its future such is its unavoidable fate but what about the goodness of our life what about the virtuous deeds we have performed what about our mental development What about our wisdom? 
it does not turn to dust. It turns to Nibbana. When we turn the mind element to Nibbana, eventually it realizes the truth of emptiness and has no further need to be born, no further need to have a body, no further need to experience old age, sickness and death. Free. That is the ultimate peace. As we remain heedful and ardent, resolute, without any memory, we resolve without any memories or determinations related to the household life. We let it all go. Once these are abandoned, with their abandoning, the mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. This is how we develop mindfulness immersed in the body. So those are nine cemetery meditations which we can use to help ourselves develop a greater earnestness, uh, more urgency for practice, more urgency to understand why we're here and what we need to do to accomplish the path. Not to be discouraged by all the things that we have to do in the world, nor to be discouraged by how difficult it is to carry these bodies and to watch them disintegrate, but just to joyfully go with the flow, let things be, and take the best care of the mind. We take the best care of the body, but we, have, we are limited in our ability to do that. Eventually, when the body is tired and has done its work, the mind still has work to do. That's where our attention needs to go. And we can use even the contemplation of the disintegration of the body formation as a way to free our minds from its attachment to the world, to the body, and to all the things that we have hoped for, wished for, that did not give us peace. This kind of contemplation can't give us peace. But we have to get over the horror, the shock, the disgust, the fear. When we first saw the dead bear, we were scared. Not because it was dead, but because we thought it was, it might get up. <laughs> Maybe it was just having a long sleep. We called the forest ranger. He came and checked it. Yep, it's dead. <laughs> and it wasn't shot. It died, probably was hit by a car, he thought, and wandered in from the highway and died in the forest. And it, wasn't, it was not a mature bear. We know that bears have an interesting lifestyle. When the mother... Uh, cares for her cubs after the first year, she will shoo them away and let them find their own territory and they have to learn how to fend for themselves. 
And when there, there's not enough food in the forest, that's why Soma used to always feed the bears. And one day a big bear came to your feeder, a bear as tall as Crawford, or taller. He took a photograph, right? I think the bear was bigger than you. Just about the same, yeah. So, because they, they struggle to find food. On this planet, there are many people who are struggling to find food. We are very fortunate that we don't have to struggle that way. But we still have to find the best food for the mind. So, when the practice seems to be not working, this is one kind of horror show that you can go to right in your own home. And you can develop your shock, horror, fear, curiosity, and keep developing, developing it, so that when you your mindfulness gets so immersed in the body, based on this curiosity, because we do do that, when we're duly horrified, get your money's worth and keep investigating. And immerse your mindfulness in this body and in studying its nature because mindfulness together with wisdom matures into Nibbana. Mindfulness connected with wisdom and continuous remembrance of the object of disgust and horror, the body itself, will take us with diligent and strong, ardent effort, take us right to Nibbana. We don't have to go anywhere. It's right here in front of us. There are some very good things in the suttas, as you know. So I offer you that for your contemplation today. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.